Okay, it's Wednesday, the hump day, they say, when you get over the hump and the camel's back the middle of the week and start looking forward towards the weekend. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show, either by going to the iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, whichever device you use, searching the NPO podcast, and clicking subscribe. You'll always be notified whenever a new episode is uploaded. You won't miss a thing. You can leave comments and reviews, and we desperately need them in order to grow the show at an accelerated rate. If for whatever reason you prefer to use a third-party podcast aggregator app instead of your native one, simply download the free Podbean app from either of those two Play Stores, and you can do all the things you could do on your native app and perhaps even a little bit more. So... Following Friday's show, when we discussed the recent appellate court decision going against Officer Daniel Pantaleo's reinstatement to the NYPD, following what was, in my view, his wrongful termination at the hands of a political puppet named James O'Neill, who was the then police commissioner and a communist mayor named Bill de Blasio, I had the idea that we would devote this week to the plight of American law enforcement and how American politicians are making it extremely difficult for law enforcement agents of all stripes at the federal, local, state level from doing their respective jobs. Earlier, we discussed um, the cases of Sergeant Hugh Barry, uh, several other cases. Today, we're going to focus on a major event here in my home state of New York where marijuana has now been legalized. The New York City Police Department was given instructions to ignore transactions on the street of marijuana, to ignore public consumption of marijuana on the street, and to ignore any possession up to and including five pounds, which used to be a serious felony years ago. Five pounds, I would say, is not personal use. That was something that used to be presumed to be for sale for profit, illegal drug dealing, we call it. But all that is changing now, thanks to Il Duce himself, Governor Benito Cuomo. Look at this article here in the New York Post. NYPD gives cops new orders to let people smoke weed in public. Well, hell, even without that authority um, or that direction, the NYPD has been doing that for years. Um, I occasionally enjoy a high-quality Cigar. I'm not a regular smoker, but I occasionally enjoy a high-quality wall- high cigar. Now, tobacco products are perfectly legal in the state of New York, but they're taxed to the nines. Try and use this legally purchased product, as I've mentioned before in recent days and recent months on this show, and you can't. You want to smoke in a public park? You're not allowed. You want to smoke within 50 feet of a building, you're not allowed. You want to smoke in a building, you're not allowed. You want to smoke in a restaurant, which is usually given as a definition or the quintessential example of a public place. It is not. It is a private enterprise, and it is owned by a private person. They should allow whatever conduct they want. But you're not allowed to do that. Uh, But people smoking weed in the park are not bothered whatsoever, even though they've been smoking an illegal product. So there's going to be very little change as far as that goes now that it's perfectly legalized. But the NYPD has told cops how to enforce the state's new marijuana law, which includes letting adults light up in public, 
ignoring the exchange of weed unless money is involved, and banning vehicle searches based on smell alone. This is a four-page memo saying that cops also can't approach, stop, or detain a parolee for smoking or possessing pot, even if they know the ex-con isn't supposed to be getting high. Instead, they should notify the relevant parole officers to enforce the conditions under which the jailbird was sprung from prison. Now, if this isn't taking the, uh, the side of the criminal element to the detriment of the public, I don't know what is. This man is on parole. Years ago, uh, if you came under the scrutiny of the police and they found out you were on parole, of course they would notify the parole officer, but they also would arrest you for the underlying conduct if the conduct that brought you to their attention in the first place warranted arrests. The memo says that the sweeping changes in, the enfor- uh, in enforcement are the result of, of Andrew Cuomo's signing of the bill. This is a finest message, which is an internal memo system of the NYPD, which came down today detailing much of this. It's a four-page memo. It's got a huge number of things. Uh, Individuals who are 21 or older may lawfully possess three ounces or less of marijuana in a public place, possess up to five pounds, as I mentioned before, in their residence, possess higher amounts of marijuana if prescribed by a doctor, give lawful amounts of marijuana to other people who are over 21, as long as no compensation is exchanged, smoke marijuana almost anywhere that cigarette smoking is allowed, including on sidewalks, on front of stoops, and other public places. As a result, smoking marijuana in any of these locations is not a basis for an approach, stop, or summons. Well, I guess you're trying to tell me they're going to engage in more enforcement now than they've been. Uh, I don't see a public park being on this list of places where smoking is legal, so why are they not mentioning that marijuana shouldn't be there? Uh, People may not drive under the influence, though. Oh, oh, happy days. I mean, it is ludicrous. What's going on is simply ludicrous. Now, there has been opposition to the bill from certain quarters. Um, In this article from the Times, it talks about the bill, uh, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act. Uh, It calls the state's marijuana policies broken, unjust, and outdated. Now, under this legislation, people can grow up to six cannabis plants. You can grow your own plants and store up to five pounds in their home. They can also legally possess up to three ounces outside the home. But, of course, if you drive, can't do it. Now, there are approximately one and a half million New Yorkers, according to this article, who regularly use marijuana, including 750,000 in New York City. So in this entire state, we have a million and a half potheads. And of those million and a half potheads, half of them live in the city of Scum York. Doesn't call it marijuana, it says regularly uses cannabis. But cannabis is the plant that produces marijuana, a drug that remains illegal to possess, grow, or sell under federal law. So, even though New York State thinks they've done something very, very good here. I can tell you that under the law, in this country, we have what they call dual sovereignty. So if the um, state of New York wants to permit you to smoke 
marijuana and grow marijuana, the federal government is of no obligation to honor that. They can arrest you under the federal body of law and prosecute you to the fullest extent of that law. Now, whether that will happen under Joe Biden, I don't know. Maybe they'll make some sort of deal because Cuomo had been rumored to be uh, possibly considered for attorney general before we found out that he couldn't keep his third a uh, little member in his pants, and he was harassing women. So that kind of deep-sixed him. But I'm sure that Cuomo will prevail upon Sleepy Joe, and Sleepy Joe will tell all his U.S. attorneys in New York not to enforce um, marijuana laws. Of course, I'm quite sure that if a member of the Trump family were found to be smoking marijuana, that those federal prosecutors would quickly and assiduously uh, uh, pursue those charges. Uh, now, New York Assembly Speaker Carl Heasty is a Democrat. Now, he's saying very, very uh, nice things about the bill. said the new bill means not just legalizing marijuana, but investing in education in our community and bring to an end decades of disproportionately targeting people of color under state and federal drug laws. We're not disproportionately targeting people of color. Maybe people of color are disproportionately using illegal drugs. Now, there may very well be a host of socioeconomic factors that have caused this, but that doesn't mean that we should give people a pass and let ourselves become a drug culture. All the legal drugs in this country have a greater usage than the illegal drugs. And it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that that is the fact because they are legal. There is more alcohol and tobacco usage here than you possibly can imagine. Now, Ira Glazer, who used to be the head of the New York chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union, was a big, big pro-legalization guy. And he would always argue that the, that the uh, alcohol and tobacco drugs caused more damage than all the other illegal drugs combined, never bothering to realize that perhaps that's the case because they were legal. Now, the late great William F. Buckley also was a proponent of legalization, indicating that availability was as great as it possibly could be, and it couldn't possibly be any greater. And therefore, by legalizing it, we would control it, we would remove the profit margin, and we would remove the primacy that crime and overlords of crime have were given over our cities during those very violent days in the 1990s. Now, there is a measure of, of uh, logic to that argument, uh, but I'm not 100% convinced in totality that that would actually be the case. Crime had seemingly been gotten under control without legalizing these things during the late 90s and even in the early part of this century in New York City and elsewhere. Now, with a laissez-faire hand, uh, a communist mayor and an idiot governor, Things have gotten out of hand once again. In fact, the Justice Department uh, was very, very critical of New York City, New York State, and other states that allowed rioting to go on uh, on, a, on a grand scale during the summer of 2020 and even before with the protests of George Floyd and what have you. But there's been there's been also pushback on the bill, as I alluded to earlier. Now, the Assembly passed the bill 100 to 49, and the State Senate passed it 40 to 23. Of course, Cuomo is going to sign it, and he has. 
For too long, the prohibition of cannabis disproportionately targeted communities of color with harsh, harsh prison sentences, and after years of hard work, this landmark legislation provides justice for long, marginalized communities, embraces a new industry that will grow the economy and establishes substantial safety guards for the public, he said. New York has a storied history of being the progressive capital of the nation, and this important legislation will once again carry on that legacy. I look forward to signing this legislation into law. Well, to my African-American friends and my Hispanic friends out there, you have been suckered once again. Just as you have been kept down by being dependent on government handouts and subsidies like welfare and so forth, and told that you are not equal so you need to be taken care of by Big Brother, now you're going to be kept in a perpetual state of intoxication and stupor so that you will never amount to anything and will always effectively be a ward of the state. Giving people more of what they want just because they want it, even though it's self-destructive and will keep them in perpetuity in the underclass, is not a reason to give it to them. In fact, it's quite the contrary. It's a reason not to give it to them. It's a reason to keep it outlawed. It's a reason to prosecute people who peddle this poison and corrupt the morals of society and the morals and health of our children. And we have a piece of garbage state attorney general, Democrat Letitia James, also supporting this. But not everyone in Shangri-La is happy with this latest bill. Uh, Republicans who voted against it uh, warned that there are certain provisions that could make life more dangerous in the state. Quote from Assembly Republican leader Will Barkley. Legalizing marijuana guarantees young people will have greater access to a drug they shouldn't be anywhere near. The minute this becomes readily available, the safety risks in our communities and on our roadways will increase exponentially. Forced COVID lockdowns drove New York to the edge of an economic cliff, and advocates for legalization seized the opportunity to push marijuana as a financial windfall. While this may eventually improve the state's bottom line, it will come at an expense of public safety and health. And that's very, very true. And I also have it on authority from someone I know in the teachers union that very, very little of this money is going to go to education for drug use or anti-drug programs. A huge percent of it, I think 40%, is going to go to the teachers' unions because the teachers in New York City, in particular, have done a piss-poor job of running the schools uh, during this COVID, and most of the state has not been that much better, although the city of New York really takes the cake. Only 20%, I have the numbers here, only 20% of the taxes take, taken from state-grown marijuana will go to drug rehab. 40% will go to the public schools. How does that follow? How does 40% go to the public schools? So you want to educate, you want to have more money to ostensibly educate the children that you've put into a perpetual state of intoxication by legalizing this poison. The inmates are clearly running the asylum. This is out of control. But what do you expect? Last year, in the fall of 2020, the Department of Justice labeled Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, and New York City as jurisdictions that permit anarchy, violence, and property destruction. When you have people that are willing to permit that sort of thing, 
Why should be should you be surprised by the fact that they want to legalize drug trafficking? Now, we all saw the riots that were going on. It prompted then Attorney General William Barr to make the statement, when state and local leaders impede their own law enforcement officers and agencies from doing their jobs, it endangers innocent citizens who deserve to be protected, including those who are trying to peacefully assemble and protest. We cannot allow federal tax dollars to be wasted when the safety of the citizenry hangs in the balance. It is my hope that the cities identified by the Department of Justice today will reverse course and become serious about performing the basic function of government and start protecting their own citizens. That strikes me as a perfectly reasonable point of view, but joint statements that were issued later on by the mayor of Seattle and Portland and uh, Dumbo de Blasio in New York City call this uh, terrible and this effort to strip funding uh, completely political and unconstitutional, playing cheap politics. I don't think it's playing cheap politics for the federal government to say, listen, we send a lot of scratch to you people to try and keep your city safe and help you with your law enforcement problems. I think we have a right and an interest in seeing how that money is spent. And when we see stores on Fifth Avenue boarded up because you allowed any low-life piece of garbage to go in there and ravage the stores and pu- pillage and plunder with, um, with impunity, I think we have a right to say we're not going to send more money to subsidize this sort of anarchy. And I don't think the citizenry of the city of New York wants it. I drove up and down Fifth Avenue. I drove south. It's a one-way street. I drove south on Fifth Avenue from Central Park all the way down through all the major designer stores. Every single one of them ripped to shreds. Boarded up, it looked like it looked like something from the 60s. The only designer store untouched was Gucci's. Why? Because Gucci was in Trump Tower. At the time, Trump was president. So there was a Secret Service detail there. And because the feds were there, It didn't matter that the New York City Police Department was told to stand down. The feds had to protect that building. And because it was a residence of the president, the New York City Police Department also had to devote resources to protecting that building as well. But everyone else was laid waste. And all of that could have been stopped. The Justice Department and Bill Barr are exactly right. All of that could have been stopped if only the mayor would not have handcuffed the police department and allowed them to use all the resources and instrumentality at the command of the NYPD. I mean the mounted unit and especially the canine units. You send four or five dogs into a department store that have been is being ravaged by 30 or 40 low lives. Watch how fast they run out like rats. They'll be jumping over each other and tripping over each other just to get out. They don't mess with the dogs. You can't reason with a dog. You can't fight with a dog. The dog sinks his teeth into you and he gets what he wants. Gets a chunk of flesh and he bites something off. Now, I'll tell you something else. The legalization of drugs is going to exponentially increase problems that law enforcement officers have when they're arresting people for things having nothing to do with drug trafficking. Many people that are arrested by the police are in various states of intoxication and have numerous illicit drugs on board. And this only exacerbates the problem. You have people that now are pharmacologically enhanced. They are immune from any kind of pain. And when they go and fight with the police, the police have to use a disproportionate amount of force to try and subdue these people who are impervious to it. And then when they come out of their drug-induced stupor, and sort of anesthetized state, 
and they begin to feel the full weight and pain of the injuries that they incurred while they were stoned, they suddenly de- decline in terms of their physical condition, and they succumb to their injuries. And now everyone's looking to blame the police officers. By giving more access to all of these drugs, we're only increasing the potential for more and more of these cases. And again, the police will take it on the shin, and it's all their fault. And it could never possibly be the fault of the dumb guinea in Albany. And I can say that because I have Italian blood in my veins. The dumb guinea in Albany who signed this can't possibly be because of that. Or the other contemptible legislators in the state of New York. No, it's all those dirty police officers, those white supremacist police officers. Unfortunately, it's going to not just be white supremacist police officers or white police officers. It's going to be black, Hispanic police officers that come to grief. Anyone who has to deal with one of these miscreants who's now stoned because they've been aided and abetted by the very, very people who are supposed to stop them from consuming this, this poison and protect us from people who do. Now, drugs are at the center of another controversy. You all remember the aforementioned George Floyd, the man whose family received $27 million, a sum of money that George Floyd could never earn in probably 100 lifetimes. But he received it totally out of line. But George Floyd's girlfriend says he overdosed Two months before his death, yes, Courtney Ross answered some questions on the fourth day of his trial. Quote, I went to pick up Floyd from his house that night. I thought I was taking him to work. He wasn't feeling good. His stomach really hurt. He was doubled over in pain, just wasn't feeling well, and he said he had to go to the hospital. So I took him straight to the hospital, Courtney Ross, 45, said in court in Minneapolis. We went to the ER, and they were checking him out in the ER, and it was getting late. And I had to get home to my son, so I left. Ross affirmed she later learned that Floyd had overdosed. She said she did not learn what caused the overdose. Ross was testifying during the four-day trial of Jarek Chauvin. Chauvin was the former police officer. He was one of the four men that responded to George Floyd's arrest when the 9-11 call came in back on May 25th of 2020. He was accused of using counterfeit money, resisted officers' attempts to put him back in the car. They pinned him to a ground. And of course, you know that have that famous video footage of Chauvin uh, placing his knee on his neck. The actual arrest video is something on the order of eight or nine minutes. And a couple of people put it up on YouTube. One man, uh, who was a black man, put it up and he felt, he said he felt very ill-served by the news media's coverage of this event, because when he saw the entire tape, he realized that the cops had done everything they could do to try and get George Floyd to come along peaceably. And if you look at the very early stages of this confrontation, when Floyd is still sitting in his car, he looks like a man who has an unjustifiable fear of what the police, please, I do have the mail. He looks like a man who's psychotic. And he was, because he had fentanyl and every other damn drug you can imagine on board. He was in a, a state of drug-induced psychosis. He wasn't reacting normally because he wasn't in a normal state. He wasn't in his right mind. And we have people like the governor of one of the most populated states in this country and the legislature that occupies those state houses looking to visit more of this upon us while our cities burn, while businesses are shuttered. What is this going to be? Just a slouching towards Sodom and Gomorrah, as the late Justice Robert Bork wrote in the title of his book 
back in the 90s. He predicted this. Now, he was a little bit late in when he said it was coming, but we're seeing it now. And if we don't change course very, very soon, we're going to become a real Sodom and Gomorrah. So you see, mixing drugs and crime is never a good thing. Probably because the using of drugs, the manufacturing of illicit drugs, and the peddling of illicit drugs should be crimes. They should always be crimes. And those that try to legalize these things in an attempt to try and save us from ourselves are doing a lot more harm than they think. Yes, we know people have drunk alcohol for years. One of the reasons people drank alcohol in days of old, in case you didn't know, was a health reason. That's right. You see, back in the days of the Revolution, even women drank a lot of beer and fermented uh, drinks because the water supply couldn't always be relied on. Of course, water is healthy, but we tend to take for granted in this day and age that our water is very clean. We treat it with chlorine. We have very, very effective public water systems to ensure that we have clean and safe drinking water. That wasn't always the case back in days of old. So people drank fruit juices, you know, apple juice, things they got from trees because the water was now filtered up through the roots of the tree and the trees themselves bearing this fruit uh, made things safe to drink. People drank uh, beer. They drank other liquor because these drinks were safe. They had alcohol in them. They had been fermented. They weren't going to be poisoned. So it became part of the American culture. It's very difficult to make something that has been legal for so long illegal. They tried that during Prohibition, and look what happened. It gave rise to the mob in such a way that nobody envisioned. It gave them a ready-made source of income. Now, that genie can never be put back in the bottle. But the fact that we can't put the genies of tobacco and alcohol back in the bottle is hardly a reason to let genies out of the bottle with respect to illicit drugs like cannabis and narcotics. The death of common sense is a term you often heard. Well, you can now thoroughly convince yourself that following the signature of Il Duce, signing that ill-advised legislation into law, common sense has indeed perished, at least in the state of New York. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.